Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 416, and today we are talking about books being released on May 30th, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Kelly, how are you? I am hanging in there. How about you? I am also hanging in there. (laughs) The nice weather and, like, all the green plants and the birds and everything are helping. Yeah, we are like finally over that hump of fake spring like and now we're in real spring slash okay it's gonna turn to summer which like I love that I I love the heat I love the sun I love the long days so you know it's it's helping a whole lot yeah yeah every year I go why do I live somewhere where there's snow and stay inside when I could live somewhere where it's warm and sunny a, a lot of the time because that's where, like, the scary animals are and the, the scorpions and stuff and st- and the snakes. So that is why I live where I do. <laughs> I can also tell you, like, having lived in central Texas for a while, you don't appreciate it as much, I think. Not that you don't, like, get it or don't enjoy it, but, like, it's kind of a different appreciation when you've gone through six months of winter and you get to the other side and you're like... Yes, all I want to do is open the windows or go outside, like, to yeah. enjoy, like, nature. You know, whether it's immersive nature or nature from, you know, behind the <laughs> screen. Yeah, there's so many birds this year. I've already identified, like, three different birds that we haven't seen before. Nice. Yeah. My neighbor, I keep texting her pictures and being like, look at this new bird, look at this new bird. No. And she's like... She's like, how do you how do you see all these? I haven't seen these. I'm like, because I stare obsessively out my window <laughs> all the time, like a cat. Like, ooh, ooh, what's that? What's that? Except I don't want to fight the pigeons. My cats want to fight the pigeons. I'm like, you would lose. <laughs> my uh, favorite birds made their way back in the last month or so. So, oh, uh, what are they? Oh, they are the sandhill cranes, and they are incredible. Oh. They are giant birds, and mm-hmm. They have this, like, prehistoric call. Like, I can't, I'm not going to imitate it, but I highly encourage looking up their call on YouTube because it is very distinct. And anyway, they they tend to only stick to pairs or, like, more than pairs. You know, they're a group bird. Mm -hmm. And I I just love it. I love driving somewhere and, like, looking and seeing these, like, giant birds. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um... They're just cool. They're cool looking. They're weird looking. They've got that weird noise. I don't know. I love it. That's cool. I'm definitely going to have to look them up after we're done here. Mm-hmm. So today is episode 416, which means that the corresponding area code is for... Well, it says here area code 416, because I'm just reading this off the internet. I don't know this. <laughs> area codes 416, 647, and 437 are telephone area codes in the North American numbering plan for the city of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So hello to everyone in Toronto. 
I've, have you ever been to Toronto? I have never been, but I, have. I hear it's a it's a gorgeous city, and I've always wanted to go. I've gone a, a few times, actually. I really enjoy it. I had, like, my best ice cream sandwich ever in Toronto, and I oh, had... Oh, well, now I have to go. Yeah, one of my favorite breakfasts ever was in Toronto, and I went to a book festival there. They tried to do a North American book festival, and they held it Very in... cool. Well, I I guess they did hold it there, but they had they put us all in rooms at the hotel that is attached to the Blue Jays Stadium. So oh, like wow. the whole inner ring of rooms at this hotel, you open your blinds, or, yeah, your curtains, and you could watch the game from your bed. Like what? it's very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Just like I've never seen that before. That's cool. Yeah. Like I know, like I've been in the restaurant, like at Fenway, where like you can sit in the restaurant and look out at the game, but I've never heard of hotels. That's very neat. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we've talked, I think we've covered everything. Cats, (laughs) birds, my favorite things, you know, cats and birds. And now we have to talk about my other favorite thing, books. Yes. Um, We talked about the weather. Yeah. So before we do that, I want to remind you about... Our newest podcast, BookRiot.com co-founder Jeff O'Neill, explores the wide bookish world with interviews, lists, rankings, retrospectives, recommendations, and much more. The podcast first edition features people you know and who love books. You can subscribe to First Edition on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Recently, Kelly was on with Vanessa, where they talked about Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which I admitted to having not read a couple of episodes ago. <gasps> what? I know, I know. Wow. I know. I don't know why I never read it. I've read so much Judy Bloom. I don't know why. Huh. Um, you can hear Jeff and Rebecca find out if they can correctly determine the It Book of April. Um, I'm sure they're going to be doing the It Book of May soon. Uh, you can hear from experienced Professor Erica Williams about Nella Larson in honor of the new complete fiction of Nella Larson collection. So, yeah, subscribe to First Edition wherever you get your podcasts. And now we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. 
No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so my first pick for today, very excited about this. So many incredible debuts this year. This one is Deep as the Sky, Red as the Sea by Rita Chang Epig. It's a fantastic, ambitious historical debut about a Chinese pirate in the 19th century. Shek Yung, when the book opens, is in the middle of a fight on a boat. And Shek Yung is a pirate, her husband is a pirate, and in like the first couple of sentences, her husband is killed. They had attempted to board this Portuguese ship and, and loot it, and they her husband gets killed. So Shek Yung has conflicting feelings about this because... Uh, her husband is a pirate. He bought her from a flower boat, which is what they call a floating brothel, where she had been so like taken into captivity and had lived there for many years. Uh, her husband was fierce and brutal, but also he bought her because he saw in her potential. He thought that she was smart, and when he brings her onto the boat, he also lets her be his right hand, something that is unheard of for women. Like the men on the boat are like, "Oh, pff, we're not going to listen to a woman," and so. You know, she does something terrible to one of them to get them to listen to her. And after that, they're like, oh, yeah, she means business, you know. Um, She's also had several children with her husband, two of whom lived. She's a pirate now. She commits the acts that were perpetrated against her and her family. Like, now she's on the other side of that. I mean, this is the pirates, like, where, like, they go up alongside a boat. They take everybody on the boat captive. They say, you're going to join us. And the people who say, never, they throw them over the side, basically. Um, I recently read something that, like, walking the plank is, like, a movie thing. It's not, like, something that anyone ever actually used to do in pirate history. Um, but anyway, I digress. So, as we learn about Shek Yung and what's just happened with her husband, we also learn about her life before she landed on the ship, you know. And so now her husband has died, uh, and he had told her, like, when that she owns half of his fleet by his say-so. Um, and his second-in-command, who was also her husband's lover, he gets the other half. But Shek Yung is worried like what she's trying to figure out her power play now, uh, right after her husband dies, because she's worried that his second in command will kill her and all those on the ship loyal to her and just take her half before like she knows what to do. So her solution, which he accepts, is to marry him and promise to give him an heir and work together. Because uh, when her husband died, he was in the middle of negotiating peace within all the fleets. They were going to, like, all get together. There's the red the red fleet, the blue fleet, the white fleet. There's all these different fleets. And they also realized, like, like so, like, negotiations were going, like, really, really great. And, and it was a precarious situation. 
And Shekyung also realizes that the Portuguese Navy, who they fought at the beginning when her husband died, they were ready for them. Like, they knew that her ship was coming. And so she has to figure out who betrayed them. Was it somebody from one of the fleets? Was it someone else? And without her husband around, will the men still listen to her? Also, her new husband is a hothead. He's going to get them into trouble. And the emperor has hired a basically like a pirate assassin whose job it is to get rid of pirates in the South China Seas. So Shekyung has to figure out who she can trust. Mostly, she's been listening to Heaven. Uh, the Heavens have spoken to her on a couple of occasions, and it's worked out well for her, but sometimes it takes a long time for the message to become clear, like what she should do, and does she have enough time? You know, so it's about a badass lady pirate um, who has an actual sense of agency and power, uh, and she does whatever it takes to survive, and now she must figure out what she wants for her future and how to keep from getting killed in the meantime. It's a lot of fun. You know, lots of, like, pirate action and sinking ships and cannons and gunfire, and, and it's really great. It is a book about pirates and mutinies and, you know, attacking everybody, so there is a lot of violence and murder, uh, sexism, misogyny, sexual assault, child abuse, miscarriage, child death, illness and loss of a loved one, animal harm and death, and forced enslavement and sex work. So be aware, you know, there's a lot of violence and bad stuff going on. It is Deep as the Sky, Red as the Sea by Rita Chang Epic. My first book is Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs by Jamie Loftus. And anybody who listens to the You're Wrong About podcast might be familiar with Jamie Loftus, who has been on a few times talking about everything from the Warrens and their paranormal investigations to Beanie Babies. So when I saw she had a book coming out about hot dogs, I was all in. And I will tell you what, I was not disappointed, even if I deeply disagreed with her on many things, including the Chicago hot dog. So the description of this book is one part travelogue part culinary history, and all capitalist critique, and that's pretty spot on. The book begins in Los Angeles, where Loftus lives, and follows her and her then-partner, uh, that's not really a spoiler, as they embark on a road trip across the U.S. during the summer of 2021 to figure out the best hot dog in the country. She has a plan on places she wants to stop, primarily those which have boasted some kind of unique or special or award-winning dog, and along the way she chronicles what made those dogs great or not so great. She is a very messy person in the best kind of ways, so this isn't a book that's like a straight-up travel guide or review of hot dogs. You'll learn about how bad Jamie is at making hotel reservations, about how her and her partner sneak their animals into these hotels, and the digestion challenges of eating so many hot dogs. Throughout the book, there are some really hilarious drawings. They're not done by Loftus, they're done by an artist who she credits, that help break apart the chapters and they add even more humor to it. So at two points during the road trip, Loftus comes across very interesting pickles. And in the first instance, each of the pickles is drawn, making her narrative explanation of these very mm, randy pickles even funnier. There are longer entries in here paired with shorter ones, so the style of the book is a little bit of everything, kind of like the hot dogs. We get a nice lengthy section on Joey Chestnut and the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, and interestingly, something I did not know is that there's a whole women's division in this contest, and it 
Part of the reason I didn't know is it doesn't get the kind of attention or publicity that the male side of this contest does. Loftus digs into that quite a bit, which I found super interesting. And then there is the part I love most in the book, and that's her description of the sausage races at Miller Park in Milwaukee. Anyone in Wisconsin knows about the sausages and their mm, problematic representations, but also really loves this super silly tradition. Loftus talks about all of it and about where and how this tradition came about, and then she ties it into a couple of other great stories of stadium hot dogs. I will say I'm not in agreement with Loftus on the Chicago Dogs, though I did find her description of Superdog mascots to be pretty spot on. I love me a Superdog, even if I have to admit that I raw dog my hot dogs. I cannot stand toppings or condiments on them. I'm here just for the dog in the bun. I will give Loftus big points for not choosing Portillo's when selecting her Chicago locations, though I was a little bummed she did not do a Dogs and Suds stop, which is another institution in the Chicagoland area. Yes, you will find out Loftus's favorite hot dog, and I won't ruin it for you. You'll just have to read the book to see what it is. This is a super fun romp, and I suspect would be especially great on audio, though you'd miss out on some of the hilarious drawings if you go that route. I will forever think of this book whenever I eat a hot dog, and during the reading of this book, I consumed many a hot dog because I could not stop thinking about them. So if nothing else, it accomplished a a pretty um, hot dog of a mission. And that is Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs by Jamie Loftus. Now you know that I was really upset that you chose this one because well, I, I really wanted to do this one myself. Well, that's too bad because you picked a book that I wanted to do for this episode, <laughs> so I got yeah. you back. <laughs> yeah. I'm being sarcastic, though. As a vegan, I was like, mm, somebody else is going is gonna to pick this one. <laughs> well, she does She does talk a little bit about different types of hot dogs, but yeah, there were. she was not consuming or road tripping yeah. for the vegan dogs. Yeah. I mean, I eat... All those Beyond Meat things I eat, like vegan hot dog stuff. But I don't pretend like it's going to taste like that. I see them as like oh, separate totally. things, yeah. you know. And and I think they're very good. And my husband, who is like the biggest carnivore that I know, also finds them to be quite delicious. So, I mean, I know they're good. But like, you know, if you eat hot dogs, you eat hot dogs. If you don't, you don't. Like, whatever. Yeah. It's funny because I'm not a big meat eater. But hot dogs I really enjoy. And again, like I said, I don't put anything on my hot dogs at all, which... Like, my husband thinks is the weirdest thing in the world, but <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Like, those alternate meats, I think, yeah. are good, and I love when people say something. So, I don't like hamburger, like, at all, and I love when people are like, try this Beyond Burger. It tastes just like one. I'm like, no, like, I don't like the taste of hamburgers. Why would I want it to taste just like it? Like, I'll try it if it doesn't right. taste like it, you know? yeah. You know, that's a, that's exactly the kind that I had just last night for dinner. Nice. Um, was a Beyond Meat burger. They're very good. But yeah, I mean, everybody does their hot dogs differently. Yeah, so. yeah, totally. And it, it was really interesting to be from like a very big hot dog region and hear about hot dogs in other parts of the country and just how they're constructed, what's on them, like what makes them, you know, notorious. And then... The, like, whole history of who started hot dogs was, in and of itself, really interesting. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, like, I'm sure I would find all kinds of interesting things in it, but I'm probably just gonna skip it. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I I grew up down the street from a very, very famous hot dog place. Um, a place called Flo's mm. in Cape Natick, Maine, where in the summer, like, 
the traffic would stop because there were so many people trying to go in and out of this little tiny parking lot. And she, it was this little tiny shack. And, like, she never changed it. She never changed anything. People were like, go big. Have a huge place. You know, like, she never changed anything about it. It was just this little tiny place. And I was actually her first vegetarian customer. Oh, I wow. asked for a roll with ketchup on it. And she thought that was a hoot. <laughs> You know, when I was, like, eight years old or something. Yeah. So. Um, but, like, people are like, what's worse, Cape Natick, Maine? And then I'm like, Flo's Hot Dogs. They're like, oh, yeah. Which is also down the street from York's Wild Kingdom, which is another famous, like, amusement park. So all kinds of weird stuff going on in Maine when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to talk about something completely different now. My next pick. So I went for it. I chose to read Drowning. The Rescue of Flight 1421 by T.J. Newman. And, like, I know everyone's going to be talking about this everywhere um, because it's like a summer blockbuster in book form. I mean, I've seen it all over Instagram. But, you know, I was talking a couple of weeks ago about how I've been really into sharks again lately. And, like, I was thinking, like, oh, this is a book about a plane that goes in the water and there are probably sharks and it'll probably give me all kinds of fabulous fictional well, like, real anxiety over fictional things, which is delicious when you're reading because it's not real. Um, so I decided to read it, and it was. It was really fun. Newman's first book, which came out last year, the title of which is escaping me as I'm saying this, Falling, there we go, uh, was about hijacking. And uh, Newman is a former flight attendant. She knows what she's talking about. This one, Drowning, is about a plane that crashes into the ocean six minutes after it takes off and sinks to the bottom of the ocean floor. Both of these have already sold the movie rights. They're going to be big films. Um, and it's just nonstop action for like the first, I don't know, 40 or 50 or 60 pages. The engine explodes on the first page, if not in the first sentence. And the plane is just taken off from Hawaii. The engine explodes, uh, I think from like the big island they took off. And there's no time. Nothing, like, nothing is going right. Everything happens so fast. The engine explodes... The captain can't get the plane to steer. They've lost all the fluids. In like, there's there's no brake fluid. There's no wing fluid. There's nothing. Like they can't move anything. And they have just enough time to get off a message to an air control tower saying, "We're going down. We're going to ditch this plane." You know, and the control tower is like, "Okay, we're going to come get you." And ditching the plane is what it's called. Ditching the plane. Excuse me, not the plan. The, the all their plans are shot to hell. Um, ditching the plane is what it's called when it lands in the ocean. They think like. They can get the plane down into the water, then they can get everyone out onto the rafts, and then the, the you know help will come to retrieve them. So the plane crashes. It crashes into the ocean. We knew this was going to happen. It's been about six minutes since the engine exploded. People are injured. Um, the ocean is not a soft surface when you're landing very quickly, dropping out of the sky. You know, people are injured. People are killed in this crash when it hits. The survivors start putting on their life vests and getting into the rafts. They're opening the exits. You know, there's a lot of screaming and, and people are pushing and shoving and, you know, just a lot of panic. No one can get anything under control. And then one of the passengers, who is an engineer, uh, realizes when he's looking out the window that the engines are burning and also the ocean is filling with gasoline. Like he can see it all over the surface, all around the plane. So he says, no, 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 no. We need to close the doors and stay inside because that's going to catch fire and burn everybody to death. And the passengers inside are like, uh, we need to talk about your brain being missing because we're getting out of this sinking plane. So a bunch of passengers still scramble to get out. And the few who choose to stay think like, okay, we're going to trust this guy. They close the doors and they close them just in time to see the ocean catch fire and melt everything around it. 
including plastic, which is what life vests and rafts are made out of, and it's just really horrible, and now everybody else, there's like 12 people left inside, away from the smoke and the flames, and the plane starts sinking. Like, they think, like, whew, we're safe for about two seconds, and then the plane starts to tip, and it's sinking. Um, Because of science, which is something that I never understand, there's some kind of force that will keep the cabin from filling with water, which is good, but can they hold on long enough to be rescued? So as this problem happens like as the plane starts to tip and the starts to sink to the bottom we learn about the passengers on the plane now, i told you this is like a very summer blockbustery novel like it, it reads like a movie so it has like all like the characters like you know that plug at your heartstrings there's a newlywed couple who are coming back from their honeymoon there's a couple that were on a trip for their 55th wedding anniversary there's a newly divorced nurse who took this trip because she wanted to learn to be more independent. There's a child traveling alone whose guardian forgets about her as soon as they crash, just completely abandons her. Uh, there is a father, the engineer, uh, and his daughter. And the father didn't want the girl to get on this plane because she's going to a summer camp. He didn't want her to get on this plane because something happened to her older sister. There was a freak accident and she was killed six years earlier. And now he's afraid to let his younger daughter out of his sight. So, of course, the engine catches on fire and the plane crashes. It's very intense. You you know exactly what you're going to get. It's fascinating. Like, I mean, she knows so much about planes and plane crashes and, and all, the, all the stuff that happens. You know, all the lingo. And it's very well done. It You know, I read it in like two seconds. I think you'd be very brave to read this, like, while you're on a plane. Like, that would be pretty wild, I think. But if you're looking for something fun and light and wild, I would check this one out. I do want to give content warnings because, you know, it's about plane crashes, you know, so there's a lot of of terrible stuff, you know, gore and trauma, injury, mass death, fire, drowning, um, loss of loved ones, death of children and adults. So go into it knowing that. It is Drowning the Rescue of Flight 1421 by T.J. Newman. My next pick is of a completely different tone. (laughs) (laughs) That is Her Good Side by Rebecca Weatherspoon. The story follows Bethany, who is a late bloomer. She's 16, never been kissed, never had a boyfriend, and she's earned a bit of a reputation because of it. It's not a bad reputation per se, but rather one that she holds onto in her head. But now that homecoming is approaching, she wants to make this year different. She's finally going to ask her crush to go with her to the dance. She's confident. She's cute. She's talented. What could go wrong? Uh, He unfortunately turns her down, citing her inexperience with dating as the reason, despite the fact it's only a dance they're going to. But rather than beat herself up, Bethany decides she's going to keep going and ask another guy to the dance. And she's turned down. Again. At this point, she makes an odd agreement with her best friend, Sailor. She will go with Sailor's new boyfriend, Jacob, to the dance. It'll be as friends, and it'll be because Sailor's already had plans for the dance before she began dating Jacob. Then Sailor breaks up with Jacob, putting them in a very weird spot. So, Jacob. This breakup with Sailor is hard because it is second it is his second breakup in as many months and he's suspecting he's the problem and is now feeling anxious about who he is as a person and as a partner yes he is very cute he got that way over the summer but years behind the camera on yearbook and making films he's starting to wonder if he's got the reputation for being the nerdy kid and if it's doing more harm than good for him so jacob decides he's going to go to the dance with bethany and that it can't hurt Uh, especially now that he's single. 
But then Jacob and Bethany start talking about their situation, and they hatch a plan to pretend to be boyfriend and girlfriend in order to practice what it is to be in a relationship. It'll help their confidence for future relationships, and they've got a plan for when the relationship will terminate. Now to play it up to their friends, get plenty of practice kissing in, and to learn how to be the best partner in a relationship possible. But, and I suspect anybody who has read a romance book at all is going, well, what happens when the fake dating turns into real feelings? So Weatherspoon's Romance is a fun, swoony read with two excellent main characters. And while the romance is at the center of the story, both Bethany and Jacob have a whole lot else going on in their lives as well. Bethany's moms are involved in the NBA, and she is feeling pressured to play yet another season of ball for school. As much as she likes playing ball, she doesn't love it. And not only is she tired of feeling like her bigger body is a problem for one of her moms when it comes to dominating on the court, but she knows it's not a game that she sees herself playing in the future. She wants to go to school to work in the food industry because she loves a good meal and wants to give that gift to the world with her own skills. Jacob is eager to be a filmmaker, and he's been given the chance to take an advanced film class in school. He's not doing great, though, and he worries that by not acing the course, he won't make it into film school and into the field. So how can he convince his teacher that he has the talent and deserves a good grade for his work? In addition to hatching their fake dating plan, they decide to work on a film to help both of them with these situations. Jacob will document Bethany's desire to go to cooking school as a means of convincing her moms to let her leave basketball behind, and Jacob will then have an assignment to get his work back in the good graces of his teachers. I had some small quibbles with this book in so much as I think the ending is a little rushed, but also I didn't care because both of these characters who are awkward, late bloomers were so wholesome and so good for each other. I was rooting for them both individually and together and walked away super satisfied with the book. Um, this is a great one for readers who love light sports and their romance and who love the idea of two inexperienced teens learning how to be good romantic partners. It's a sweet and feel good read. And that is Her Good Side by Rebecca Weatherspoon. Yay, Rebecca Weatherspoon. She's always great. So my next pick for today is uh, something I haven't read yet because now we are moving on from books we've read and loved to books we are excited about but haven't necessarily read yet. My first one is Horse Barbie, a memoir by Gina Rochero. It's about a young trans woman in Manila who participated in trans pageants when she lived there. And Gina moved to the U.S. a few years later, uh, where no one knew her. And for a while, she didn't mention that she was trans. Uh, She got a job as a model, and she was living her life, and she was pretty excited about everything that was happening. But she also felt that as her star rose, her identity eroded. So she decided to come out to the world once again as her authentic self, a beautiful trans woman. Um, This is about how doing that helped her and how she wants to help other trans people and youths live their true lives. And she's called Horse Barbie. That's the name of the memoir because that's what the other contestants called her. They gave her that nickname uh, when she was in the Philippines because she was so tall. Um, It's getting amazing reviews. It sounds wonderful. It is Horse Barbie, a memoir by Gina Rochero. Is that the one that you wanted to read, Kelly? No, it's the next one. Oh. Yeah, I was going to, like, interject as soon as you started talking to say, you stole this one from me, but no, you didn't. (laughs) Well, now we already know. (laughs) 
so my next pick is one I haven't read yet, and I'm really sad I haven't gotten to it yet, but I plan on it. Um, and that's Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing by Emily Lynn Paulson. And this book is my absolute catnip. And even though I haven't gotten to it yet, I am really excited because I know I can listen to it on audio when it comes out. And this is the kind of nonfiction that I just adore on audio. We all were fascinated by that Lula Road documentary that came out a couple years ago and how it exposed the way that MLMs work. And we also loved all of the other writing and films on MLMs, ranging from fitness drinks to press on nails and more. The dark side of MLMs is endlessly fascinating as much as it is sad. And this is Peterson's personal account of getting involved in one and how the false promises made when she signed on never came to fruition. Instead, she found herself in debt and desperate to keep her business afloat. This book is personal, but it is also a bigger look at the culture around MLMs. In Amanda Montel's excellent book, Cultish, she talks about the cult behavior of MLMs, and that's one of the big themes throughout this book, how people get sucked in and start believing in the magic of multi-level marketing and how pyramid schemes like these thrive because of their adaptation of cult-like tactics. This is a kind of nonfiction that I just adore. It's a blend of the personal with the research and like the 10,000 foot view of the topic at hand. Even though these are stories that I'm really familiar with, I've watched every documentary, I've listened to every podcast. um, I don't care. I can't get enough of them. So I'm really looking forward to this one. And that is Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing by Emily Lynn Paulson. All right. My next pick you are going to hear about, uh, but first we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Albachan died, Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? 
Negative space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused. And it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so this is the one that Kelly wanted to talk about, and I'm I'm very sad to say that uh, I didn't even end up reading it. What? Oh no! I know. So this is what happens, right? So it's "Beware the Woman" by Megan Abbott, um, who is one of my very favorite authors. Uh, She wrote "Dare Me," "The End of Everything," "Queen Pin." I love her so much, Mm -hmm. and I started to read it, and then I got too excited. Sometimes that happens to me, (laughs) and I'm like, if I read this, then I'm not gonna have it. And so Mm -hmm. I decided to save it for my break next week. We're recording this two weeks early because I'm taking a break for a week, and so I'm saving it for that. Uh, But it is a thriller. It's about a new couple named JC and Jed. They go to visit his doctor father who lives in this lush, cottagey woods area. And suddenly Jed becomes very ill. And JC feels, after a few days, like a prisoner in this cottage as his condition worsens. And she also hears whispers about Jed's mother who died when he was young. It doesn't explain, like, what kind of whispers she hears, but I'm going to guess they're on the maybe she didn't die of natural causes or, like, something bad happened to her variety. Um, And JC feels like her every move is being watched. But is it true? Or does she just have cabin fever? Going to have to read it and find out. It is Beware the Woman by Megan Abbott. It's great. I loved it. Oh, you did read it. Oh, yay. Okay. Chime in. Yes, please. Yeah, I, um, it was the first book I read this year. Like, I have a couple of authors who, if they have a new book coming out, like, I know that that's the first book I want to start the year off with. And mm-hmm. this was Megan Abbott's year. So I read it in pretty much one sitting. Sweet. Yeah. It's very interesting. It is very claustrophobic is the word I really like to use for it. And it's set in the UP of Michigan, which like is an area that endlessly fascinates me. And I feel like she captured the feeling of that part of the country just so well. It's great. If you like Megan Abbott's work, you're gonna enjoy this one as well. Yay. And so is it spoilery? Like to say, like, can you say a little bit more? Like, did some does does she hear like that something bad happened to the mom or um if you don't want to say you don't have to say let's just say that she writes in such a way that you know that this has something to do with a very masculine broish hunting Uh-oh. community if that kind of uh-huh. um, leads you on a little bit uh maybe i'll have to read it tonight now <laughs> or save it for your vacation because you are so excited about it. I know, it. but oh. I'm easily influenced. You should, <laughs> you should see like a, a like a day for me. I'll be like on the internet and someone will be like, oh, this book. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. So like I download it, you know, like the galley or whatever. And I'm like, okay. And I start reading it. And then a little while later, someone's like, ah, have you read this book? And I'm like, not yet. They're like, ah, you have to read this book. And so then I download that one and start reading that one instead. <laughs> 
you know? So, like, I have, like, 15, 20 books going at all times, and then, like, I'll spend a day, like, on the weekend, like, going back and, like, cleaning them all up, you know, (laughs) because I'm like, okay, too many. But, yeah, I'm easily influenced. So, I will hit my last title. All right. And it is Improbable Magic for Cynical Witches by Kate Skelsa, and it's out in paperback today. And it's a book I wanted to read when it first published last year, I think almost exactly a year ago. And I was going to talk about it on all the books, and then I never got to it. Still haven't gotten to it, but I definitely plan to. It's a lesbian romance with all of the witchy vibes. So it follows Eleanor, who is 17 and does not believe in witchcraft at all, which is impressive given that she lives in modern-day Salem. But she and Chloe, her best friend and first love, are no more. And Eleanor has pretty much spent the last year just going through the motions and surviving. But then she gets this handwritten guide to tarot delivered to the witchy souvenir store where she works, and it tells her that magic will be in her life soon. She doesn't believe it, of course, until in walks Pix, a real-life witch. Pix offers Eleanor an invitation, and even though Eleanor wants to be cynical about it, she decides to take a chance and follows Pix to her coven of witches. It's, of course, not too good to be true, and Eleanor finds herself a place to belong and possibly even new love. But until she can reckon with her own ghosts and her own past, she won't be able to take the full plunge and will keep part of herself closed off. Now she needs to understand and accept the past in order to step into what promises to be a magical future. This sounds so fun and a genre-braiding take on a coming-of-age story. Modern Day Salem, sign me up! Um, I read one of Selska's early books and know her writing is nothing short of evocative, so I'm especially eager to be transported into this world, and that is Improbable Magic for Cynical Witches by Kate Skelsa. Alright, so those are books that we have read and loved, books we are excited to read, books we're probably going to read right after we finish recording now. And now I'm going to do a little paperback roundup because there are so many great paperbacks coming out today. Uh, Starting with one of two octopus books that came out last year that I want to read, but like I know that sad things happen, but everyone tells me I really need to read them. Uh, Out today in paperback is The Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor, which is more on the sci-fi side of the two octopus books that came out last year. This one is about the discovery of a species of octopuses with their own language and culture. Uh, the other is Remarkably Bright Creatures, which isn't out in paperback yet, I don't think. But my husband's friend read it last week, and he was like, you have to read this, you have to read this. And I was like, I know, everyone loves it, but I just generally avoid animal books. Like, it's if they so have animals, good. Like, on the title. Oh, I know, so but I'm like, ugh, I'm such a baby when it comes to animal stuff. It's, you know, it's, well, I mean, not uh, that's what bothers me. You know, everybody has their thing, so. But if I know ahead of time, like, I can, I think I can do it. I'm going to do it. So he gave me his copy. I mean, I have no reason not to do it. Up next, Man o' War, speaking of things under the water, uh, by Corey McCarthy about a young person who meets another person like them and begins to understand themselves and their identity and find love. This one won, like, a gazillion awards. It was a Stonewall honor book. It sounds amazing. Kelly, did you read this one? No, I did not read that one yet. I The cover kind of freaks me out. I hate that. I say, I'm saying that. <laughs> because I, I tend to like the author's work, and this book sounds really good, but that cover, I can't I can't do it. Yeah. The underwater stuff is creepy and weird. That's why I like it. That's why it scares me. Also out today, Gallant 
by V.E. Schwab about a young girl named Olivia Pryor who has lived her whole life out of school for girls, and she gets a mysterious invitation to the residence known as Gallant. Or it's probably Gallant, I don't know. I don't actually know how these words are pronounced. I just say them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also out, The Shore by Katie Rundy, which is a family drama set on the Jersey Shore. Siren Queen by Nivo, a dark fantasy novel set during pre-code Hollywood about a Chinese-American actress who is willing to literally sell her soul for bigger roles. Patricia Wants to Cuddle by Samantha Allen, a Book Riot favorite about a Bachelor-style reality show that is going to film on a Pacific Northwest island out in the woods the last few episodes of the show, uh, and they're going to meet Patricia, and Patricia wants to cuddle. I loved that one so much. It's pretty wild. It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's wild. The Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez about an outcast and a guard who help a god escape captivity where she's been being held by the royal family. Florida Woman by Deb Rogers about a woman who commits a crime who instead of jail time gets community service and ends up working at a shelter for monkeys. The Gay Best Friend by Nicholas DiDemizio. DiDemizio is the author of Burn It All Down, which came out a couple of years ago. This is about a young man named Dominic who is caring for the needs of his two soon-to-be-wed best friends. They're both asking a lot of him, and so he decides he's just going to do what he wants. The Benevolent Society of Ill-Mannered Ladies by Allison Goodman, which the cover and the title are just great already, um, about an amateur detective in Regency London who is very successful because she's considered an old spinster at 42, and since she's a woman approaching middle age, people look right through her, so she gets to do a lot because nobody notices that she's there, and she decides she's going to rescue her niece from her terrible husband. Diary of a Tuscan Bookshop, a memoir by Alba Donati. But Donati was an Italian book publicist who decided to open a small bookshop in the Tuscan countryside, which just sounds amazing. And The Museum of Ordinary People by Mike Gale, about a woman who is looking for a place for her late mother's possessions when she discovers a warehouse called The Museum of Ordinary People, filled with all kinds of stuff. And she ends up working with the warehouse's mysterious owner to bring the stories of the people whose possessions are in there to life because every story is important. So those are some paperbacks out this week, both in hard from hardcover and uh, paperback releases in original form. Kelly, what are you going to read next? I am currently reading The Fall of Wit Rivera by Krista Maldonado, and it's great. It's not out until... September or October, but I love Crystal's work and she does such a great job of writing fat girls in YA, like unapologetically fat girls. And this one is about that and about fall. What about you? So I had just finished the book that I was reading. So I'm going to start Forgiving Imelda Marcos by Nathan Goh, which comes out this fall, um, which I've heard amazing things about. But just this morning, I like how. I know it's just a coincidence. I know I didn't speak this into being, but I kind of feel like I did. Like a few weeks ago, I said out loud to my friend, when are we going to get a new Ben Fountain? And like that afternoon on social media, they were like, look at this deal. There's a new Ben Fountain novel coming. And I was like, oh, I made that happen. I didn't really, (laughs) but I got, 
an e-galley of it this morning. It's called Devil Makes Three. Um, if you've not read Ben Fountain before, he wrote Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which was amazing. I didn't watch the movie. I know it's a movie now, but I loved that book so much. And it's been like, I don't know, 12, 15 years since it came out. So I'm very excited about this one too. And I made it happen. Um, that is it for today. You can subscribe to First Edition on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Kelly, where can people find you? I'm still on Twitter at Veronica Kelly Mars. Uh, someday I'll let it go, but I'm, I guess I'm waiting for it to let me go. Same, really. I mean, that's where I met all these book people that I love and some Mm -hmm. of my closest friends now, you know, and it's like sad. And, you know, I just try to like pop in and look at like book stuff, which is really hard with all the, ah, Mm -hmm. you know, you can find me on Instagram at Franz and Comes Alive. And if you go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review, we would greatly appreciate it because it helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.